Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Uh, a lot of big things happening back in with the former Secretary of Transportation, Elaine Chow, who was married to Senate Major, now Senate Minority Leader, uh, Mitch McConnell, also known as Moscow Mitch, and she got he got Russia covered, I guess she has China covered. But anyway, uh, as uh, her being in charge of the Secretary of, of Transportation, uh, there are a lot of federal laws, the Disadvantaged Business Enterprise Program. Uh, there are a lot of laws that would be followed by local jurisdiction, including our local Federal Highway Administration and uh, our esteemed Washington State Department of Transportation that saw four black contractors go broke on the Seattle Tunnel Partners Project, who both companies had a reputation for breaking minorities and local governments at the same time. But with the Elaine Chow administration, WashDOT was able to get a conciliation agreement absolving them from any harm or having to pay the black contractors any money. Well, now we have friends in Washington, D.C. now, and we will be asking that that investigation be looked at again. Uh, we'll also be asking several members of the Congressional Black Caucus to have the FBI start an immediate investigation into what's going on in Washington state. But one of the victims of the discrimination has been uh, the owner of now Washington State Sand and Gravel. He had, did have another company, but that was ran out of business. His name is Elton Mason, and he comes from a family. Uh, the, the, his father, the late J.D. Mason, was the president of the Independent Black Truckers and Excavators. Uh, his late uncle, Eli Mason, was also a trucker. And they, we've been fighting for the, with them for the last 40 years for justice. The harder we fight, being under white prime contractors just does not work for blacks. That's why we don't hardly have any right now because of that discrimination. And we got too many black people in positions of authority that kind of look the other way, uh, at least give us the information so we can fight from the outside. But anyway, I want to bring on Elton Mason. Mel Elton, how you doing? Good, good. Thank you. Okay, now you have a litany of Title VI complaints. I asked you earlier, go down the list and let the listeners know uh, how long you've been fighting this fight, the complaints you filed, and who, the, who they were filed against. Well, I've been, uh, first of all, thank you uh, for the opportunity um, to, to speak on this uh, very important uh, nationwide problem. Uh, but uh, we've, uh, since 2012, um, I filed over 20 Title Sixes. Um, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> I think FHWA got so tired of seeing these complaints come in, um, they changed it on us and called it a DBE complaint. I'm like, uh, you know, they're changing the bar uh, without notification and with time being our worst enemy. You know, it's trying to file a complaint and have something done about it has been uh, a challenge. But um, so since 2012, I've filed uh, multiple uh, Title VI complaints um, exposing a broken system with our DBE program. Um, and what got the ball rolling is that uh, the minorities office, OMWBE, certified, again, another woman-owned business that had absolutely no experience in the construction industry. Um, but her husband did, which is intertwined with a prime contractor that's doing probably over a billion dollars worth of, of contracting in the state as we speak. Uh, so... Um, um, in 2014, FHWA sent me a response to my complaint. There's never been um, a response uh, putting WASDOT and the prime contractor in breach of contract. It's never been done. 
in the state of Washington, and that triggered um, supposedly reform um, in our industry. Um, agreements were made uh, without us being at the table. The, the you know the folks that uh, let me back up a little bit. The that uh, the, the letter that came from FHWA uh, putting was done in breach of contract. Um, um, uh, pretty much said that uh, yes, we were discriminated against. We were retaliated. Barriers were um, uh, imposed um, in the contracting. Um, uh, WASDOT had a hands-off approach when it comes to um, um, protecting us and or contracting. It was like, you know, they were in bed together, so to speak. But um, um, I want to I ask you also about uh, the situation right now. There were four female companies, white female-owned companies, that had about 100 trucks, and they were I know Cheryl Portier, Department of Transportation, when they went back and met with Elaine Childs, they were waved out of the program. Well, Trump let them back in. And now I understand that um, one of the women that was involved in the company, Grady Excavating and Trucking, got a divorce and now her husband has a company. What is the status of that now? Uh, the husband has the company. Now, there, to this day, there's another 15 brand new Peterbilts. Um, I think you'll have probably between 70 and 80 trucks, maybe 60, 50, 70. They're 300 grand a piece. Um, so he bought more trucks and self-certified himself on a federal level as a small business. So with Joe Grady being a, um, a chief estimator with um, a KLB uh, construction company, um, they, they, um, KLB predominantly does all the work for, you know, subcontracts for all these prime contracts that do WASDOT work. Um, so it's business as usual. It, it's, it's, a, it's a monopoly that's going on. Um, well, what, what are the requirements for it? What are the requirements for a small business? How much, how much revenue does he do with his 80 trucks? Well, let me see. He's got over $100 million in contracts. So um, I believe... Uh, don't hold me to this. I think on the, on I, I was just told by a governmental agency that actually he's he's actually not a small business. Um, okay, that's all we need to hear. We don't need we don't need to do the government's yeah. job. We'll wait for official word from OMWBE or the feds on whether or not this individual with all the trucks is pretty much monopolizing the industry. So you can use a small business in lieu of using a minority in Washington State because there's no affirmative action. Right. Okay, what is your what has been your response from as of late uh, from the Washington State Department of Trade? They have uh, this EEO program. All these folks, uh, are, what are they doing? Because I can't imagine uh, not hearing anything from WashDOT about four black construction companies going broke on the Tunnel Partners project, and then them getting a, well. I can see why they got a conciliation agreement now with, with Secretary Elaine Chow. Uh, yeah, she was probably busy because I think the news was that she was invested in in Vulcan and another sand and gravel company. So that's who you were competing against, unfortunately. Uh, have you heard anything of yet? Have you made any contact with uh, Peter Buttigieg, the new Secretary of Transportation? It's my understanding from my sources in Washington, D.C., that he's interested in hearing about the problems and issues that we've had, specifically African descendants of the United States enslaved, because we have a peculiar problems rather than everybody else's, so we can't get lumped together. That's why we're not doing anything right now, because they lump all minorities, they lump all DBEs together. And if you got 
as usual, person at the choose at the top choosing they're not gonna choose the black. And our numbers prove that over and over again, but nobody else. But before I go any further, I wanna see uh, if Hayward Evans, my co-host, has a question or comment. Yeah, Elton, first it's good having you here, brother. And uh, you know, this whole this whole area of Title Six, um the Justice Department now, you know, we have a new administration in now. Have you contacted the current Justice Department? Because, again, uh, Title VI was supposed to allow for steps to be taken to ensure that discrimination didn't exist and that people of color, i.e. African descendants of the United States and slave, were getting their fair share of the pie. Um, the new administration, no, I haven't. It's been one heck of a challenge to get a hold of anybody in the past uh, from the Justice Department, uh, you know, going through all of this, um, you, you know, even this WASDOT got dismissed because I filed a suit in 2017. They were dismissed with prejudice because it's like sovereign immunity. You can't sue the king. There's no there. The law itself discriminates against any minority contractor in the program. So under Title seven, it's a uh, an employee can sue for discrimination, retaliation. Um, but as a contractor, yeah, you know, people mentioned the 64 Civil Rights Act and, you know, all these other laws that has nothing to do with you cannot sue. There needs to be a private cause of action for us so that, you know, maybe that'll straighten them out after that. You know, uh, there's no case law nationwide and they'll never be until these laws get changed. Elton, I want to see. Uh, do we have Bob Armstead on the line? OK. All right. I thought I thought Bob was on. He's going to be coming on pretty soon. But I also wanted to. Uh, because he is the one that's involved with the Washington State Civil Rights Coalition and has monitored all these things and, and met with people in D.C. And uh, so he would really have a lot of good advice for you. So he'll be on after you. And uh, I wish you to pay very close attention to his recommendations. Uh, but we have a, we have some serious issues. You know, we have, uh, I had a secretary, well, the whole administration, the whole Trump administration, as far as I'm concerned, you had four secretaries uh, that were were had were referred to the the just us department, but we know that uh, the only justice that was in and out was to Trump and his cronies, and that's why nothing happened. So I guess it uh, uh, I, they might. Okay, we have do have Bob on. Uh, how you doing, Bob Armstead? Okay, look, uh, Elton. I don't know if you've been following along. Uh, Elton's on. We were talking about recommendation. I was letting folks, the listeners, know that you had a little a little bit more experience than most of us in dealing with the feds and with the law and stuff like that. And then seeing this latest uh, reverberation about uh, Secretary Elaine Chow, it pretty much gives you give us a pretty good understanding why there was a lack of any kind of implementation or any oversight or anybody being brought to justice under her administration. So uh, you are somewhat familiar with Eldon Mason's situation, all the Title VI he's filed. Uh, what would be your recommendation, Bob, on where we should go, not just Elton, but all of the uh, African descendants of the United States uh, who have been aggrieved by uh, not just uh, WashDOT, but any agency that's hit on with federal money. Uh, I, I will answer that. Uh, but first, I, I wanted to make a statement. I did listen to the first segment. Uh, the contracts that uh, Elton was referring to are contracts that are partially or wholly uh, funded by the federal government. So the I-200 situation in Washington uh, state has no impact on those. Uh, those contractors uh, 
Walshot and any other state agency that utilizes federal funding and funding those types of contracts have to follow federal guidelines, not state guidelines. My recommendation to, to Elton and everyone else is to uh, test and verify. Test and verify what the new Biden administration said when they were campaigning and now that they're in office to bring before them the same situations that you have experienced in the past, uh, provide to them information regarding the, uh, the outcomes and request that they, one, do an investigation uh, to determine whether or not the, uh, the individuals, uh, Federal Highways, Wildstad, prime contactors, had conflicts of interest. And secondly, to see if any of the violations that have been previously identified uh, by FHWA and other federal agencies against agencies in Washington State has, in fact, been rec rectified. Uh, an example is uh, within the last few months, uh, FHWA uh, issued uh, a ruling stating that uh, WASDOT had fulfilled the requirements of the conciliation agreement that Elton referenced. Uh, I would challenge that. If, if I were Elton or any of the other seven or eight contractors that were listed in that uh, conciliation agreement, uh, from the information that I have, uh, the conditions of releasing that uh, requirement were not fulfilled. So I would ask both the Justice Department uh, and USDOT under a new secretary to investigate those and rescind that. There, there are a number of decisions that have been issued by uh, USDOT in the last uh, four years that uh, that I would challenge. I would well, ask, ask. I just want to ask you: Is that something that the Washington State Civil Rights Co Coalition could do on their behalf? Uh, yes, we can. Uh, we can write a letter to the uh, new Secretary of Transportation and the new Attorney General and uh, request those investigations. And if they come back to us stating that uh, uh, the request has to come from involved parties, then we can include uh, one or more of those uh, eight contractors at that time, or we can include them in our initial uh, request to the secretary and the attorney general. Elton, I just want to ask you, uh, what were the names of your former companies and give our listeners an idea of what happened? I'm sorry, my, my phone broke up. What was that again? I just said, would you list the name? Now, you had companies under other names, and I just wanted you to share with our listeners. Uh, I think, what was the last company you had? Uh, Washington State Trucking. Yeah, Washington State Trucking. Just share with our listeners what happened, how long that company was in existence, and what kind of problems you ran into? Well, my goodness. I mean, I've been 35 years um, in the industry, experienced in um, 
you know, we've always, you know, like I said, I've learned from the best. You know, my father was uh, phenomenal when it comes to, you know, fighting for justice and our share of the uh, of the of the pie, um, so to speak. Um, you know, um, man, it's, when I think about this, it's just, you know, I just think about I mean, it's ridiculous to have to fight to get on these to be included on these projects. So. Um, from my 92, I mean, you were there here next to us, uh, you know, from 405 to any of these projects around here. We just had to fight to get a piece of it. So, um, um, uh, you know, uh, in following this report in 2012 or this complaint in 2012, I really thought the attention that was brought here to Washington State uh, went nationwide. And I really thought that something was going to happen, um, something that uh, not only... Uh, protects us um, from retaliation and being blackballed and whatnot. But, um, you, you know, we're able to train other people, I mean, and put more people in the industry and whatnot. But, you know, after people looking to see what's happened to me, they destroyed, destroyed me, my reputation and all. You know, they're scared to jump in this industry. So, um, well, that's why we have to get some justice. But uh, I just, uh, uh, you heard what what Bob had to say. What would your what would your feelings be about having the Washington State Civil Rights Coalition do a letter on your behalf? And as Bob indicated, if they want to hear specifically from the contractors who were harmed, then that would be great too. But the names would be mentioned in the letter anyway, because I'm sure we would want to. Uh, all of them would want to have this looked at. I know that quite a few folks. I know Fred Anderson and all the stuff he went through. He definitely wanted to look at. So, but anyway, those are some of the things that we can do. So. Uh, I just want to see, if, uh, Bob, do you have uh, any further advice or comments for our listeners or anyone? Uh, yes, yeah, I, I, I would like to briefly uh, respond to your question to Elton uh, and examples of some of the things that happened with Elton. Uh, the conciliation or the noncompliance uh, that was issued against Washington State which at the time was the first and only noncompliance uh, that had been issued by UST DOT against a uh, state agency, uh, was primarily because of a situation with Elton, where Elton had submitted a bid on a project, was the apparent low bidder and winner, but because of other uh, issues and things that were brought into the mix. The contract was awarded to someone else. Uh, another example is as a result of that, he was given some work on a contract uh, with the requirement that he had to have a minimum of 20 trucks. Uh, Elton went out and got the trucks and still didn't get the work. Uh, and it, it, just goes on and on. Uh, you know, there there are at least 20 instances instances of that with Elton alone. And you think about the large number of DBE contractors in this state that have had maybe not the number of experiences that Elton personally has, but have had individual uh, experiences. And you think about the system. Uh, as part of the uh, conciliation agreement, there was a concern about one of the signatures on that agreement 
Uh, we challenge that uh, through the uh, the state order and the state ethics uh, commission, and also went to the FBI. And the FBI, instead of questioning us about that incident so that they could investigate it, wanted to know if we knew small contractors that they could investigate for any number of reasons. So the problem is systemic. It's not just uh, WASDOT and the regional uh, FHWA office, which have horrendous problems, but the agencies that are there to uh, enforce them. Uh, you have U.S. DOT employees that approve agency participation agreements uh, at a level of 2%, where we've had six, seven, eight disparity studies in this specific region over the last 10 years or so that identify the problem and allow states, agencies, and local agencies to have better and higher uh, goals. But you have agencies in the state that, based on those disparity studies, will have, uh, say, DBE goals of 12% to 20%. But USDOT will also approve an agency who will submit a goal request of 2%. And we've had two of those recently. Uh, okay. One from Skagit County, one from Whatcom County, that uses the same standard metropolitan area that Sound Transit and Wallstadt and other use in order to have, you know, high double-digit uh, goals. Okay, so Bob, we're out of time on this one, but I want to say that uh, the uh, Trump administration has taken the handcuffs off the FBI, and there's finally justice in the Justice Department, and it's not just for Trump. So I think that we have some people that we can work with, and I would strongly suggest that the Civil Rights Coalition make that contact with the FBI. We also have Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, who's on the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee. So we got somebody locally, so we need to get busy. So Elton Mason and Bob Armstead, I want to thank both of you for your time today and for all the information you share with our listeners. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Well, take a break and come back. Eric B. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. 
Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150. Talk radio for the body, mind, and soul. Uh, hey, what happens? Nate right back at Urban Forum Northwest. Our next guest is the newly elected president of the Tacoma, Washington NAACP, Mr. Jonathan Johnson, a person who has been busy in the community for a long time, a diligent worker. I, when we were in person and even on Zoom, he's always at the Tacoma Pierce County Black Elective every Saturday morning at 830. Uh, sir, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And hopefully this will be at least a monthly or a regular uh, conversation that we'll be having on this program so you can keep our listeners in, 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 informed of what's going on in the Tacoma Pierce County area. So why don't you start off by just sharing a little bit about yourself to our listeners, President Johnson. I'd love to, and thank you, uh, thank you, Eddie, for allowing me to be on the program today. You know, it's, it's a tough thing to come to the Northwest and try to find Black people and don't know where to look. And that was my experience when I came here back in uh, 1975, and I uh, was stationed at Fort Lewis, um, and immediately discovered what happens when you have a culture, a system that, uh, for me, the general officers that I came in under had all served in the segregated military. So some of the things that were going on uh, decades earlier had been put into the culture. And so the culture that that we still have to deal with was there. But I came to the area, I uh, was married, had, uh, had three children. Uh, they're all incredibly talented and it's completely unexplainable how they came through me because um, I can't sing or, or dance. So it's an amazing thing. I'm a, I'm a geek computer guy. Uh, so I came here, I served with the army, served in, uh, at Fort Lewis, uh, Fort Belvoir, uh, Fort Leavenworth, got a chance to serve with the, the Center for Army Leadership and uh, came back to Tacoma and was helping uh, working. They're all incredibly talented and completely unexplainable how they well, came through. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, looks like my uh, my computer popped up all of a sudden and was giving me the... Oh, go right ahead. That's okay. No problem. But anyway... I came uh, came to the area, got involved with uh, lots of lots of uh, programs with people here in the community because I knew from my military experiences, if you don't train people up, you're leading them to slaughter. And we have people who, in our community who are incredibly talented, but if we don't engage them and give them the skill set and help them to, to navigate the things that are going on, uh, they're not going to be able to make it. And they have to understand that policy is one thing, uh, 
their personal values or another. But when you're going fighting all the time upstream against a culture that believes in white supremacy, you're going to have a hard time in every business, every trucking firm, every school. And I'll put it right out there. It's everywhere. Somebody told me the other day, it's, it's in the snow. When we figure out how we, what, under, what we understand to be our operating system, what we believe, we can do something about it. But if we end up at a point where all we're doing is what was done yesterday, I guarantee you they have us in the corral and we bet they will be put away. Uh, anyway, I came to the to the Coma NAACP uh, in 2009, uh, made a couple of suggestions, and ended up uh, getting uh, uh, to be the chair of the education committee. Uh, worked as the, as that for several years. Also worked uh, as the second vice president, and then the first vice president, and this year was elected to be president. Uh, there are lots of things that need to be done. But my true belief is we've got to find ways to treat each other better. Once we get the habit of treating each other better, then we can demand that others treat us the same way we have our standards. Uh, it's very difficult to treat people differently uh, or very easy to treat people differently when you've got a habit of treating people diff- differently. And so I really appreciate being on your show to be able to, to to hear some of the things that were going on. Uh, we all have a little piece of the pie, or a little piece of the information, but to hear the depth that you went into on, on the impact of contractors, um, I, I will be listening to your show very often and uh, will be on as often as you will have me. So thank you. Thank you, Eddie, for inviting me, and I, I really uh, enjoy the opportunity to talk with you. Okay, I want to give my co-host here whatever is an opportunity to ask a question or make a suggestion or whatever he has on his mind. Go ahead, you know, President Johnson. First, thank you for being here with us. I, I I'm so appreciative of the people in Tacoma and how progressive, particularly the, the Black Collective is, and what you're doing with the NAACP. What I've been asking our local NAACP here in King County, as well as the state, I think we need to challenge the Biden administration. This, this is time, this is like our second reconstruction. And at the end of the first reconstruction, they had the Free Man's Bureau. We need a government entity specifically to work on issues of African descendants of the United States enslaved. This thing about bunching us all together has not worked in the past and I don't see it working in the future unless we, uh, unless we come together to work. But I'd like to know what, what are the priorities now for the NAACP there in Tacoma? Well, that's that's an excellent question because uh, there are lots of priorities. For for me personally, I want to start in in house to make sure that we are doing what we need to do to make sure all of our elements, all of our uh, committees, are working properly to make sure that our people are being represented well when we do go to say what we're going to do. Uh, when we look outside of ourselves. Uh, we want to develop the kinds of relationships with all parts of government because uh, my military experience tells me if you go in to fight a battle and you're there by yourself uh, without fire support, without anything to support you, you're you're not going to win. So I'm convinced that if we coordinate, and that's one reason why I do like the idea 
participating with the Black Collective and other community organizations is we need to have a sense of what our needs are for every part of our community. Uh, one of the other key priorities for myself is to get out as much as I can to join as many, uh, to join people at their churches at other organizations. I want to be a, get a chance to see them face to face or on Zoom if that's what we have to do. Uh, and then as soon as we know who we are, then we can start moving where we want to go. Uh, it's hard to start a direct, in a direction where uh, some of us think we should go north and some go south uh, because we don't get anywhere. And that brings me to the other part. And the other part has to do with when we are as a community and we know there are great needs, but everybody has a different way of doing it. Again, we're diffused, sent in multiple directions, and during this last administration, we had everybody hurt, and we had this proliferation of organizations trying to do something. And when we have a lot of organizations, and all of them have a limited number of people, we can't get much done. So I think unity is one of the things, and I agree with you, we've got to find a way to coordinate with each other and be committed to each other. But the first thing we need to do is find out what our priorities are in the community. And I will not set priorities for Tacoma, but what I will do is communicate with the community, find out what our priorities are, and some of them will, some of them will have to be. All of them have. Going to sleep on me. Uh, sorry about that. The uh, my computer every time it goes to sleep, it lets the. Uh, Let's let me listen to what's been going on the last couple of minutes. But anyway, once we get a chance to know each other and work with each other, then we can start to make progress. But you know, running over people just because that's what uh, the existing leadership does is not going to make us any better. Well, well, Jonathan, I'd like to see uh, you hopefully be a part of the Washington State um Civil Rights Coalition, work with Bob Armstead and a few of us others, and also the enforcement mechanism. They need to enforce Title VI. Hayward, Hayward, we're, we're, I'm sorry, but we're, we're out of time. We have to have uh, President Johnson back on, but we have <clears throat> the other persons involved in uh, Tacoma last Sunday, Reverend Dr. Leslie David Braxton's on. So President Johnson, thank you. But you're welcome to be on this program anytime you got an issue or got any statement you want to make, you're well, always welcome. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for Okay, sorry to rush through that, but uh, we are time. We don't just have an hour, but Reverend Dr. Leslie David Braxton, Senior Pastor of New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, and one of the organizers of uh, the Silent March while wearing white last Sunday, Justice for Manuel Ellis uh, in Tacoma, Washington. So Reverend Braxton, that was an amazing speech you gave on that date, and I know you were also involved with assisting with uh, the press conference last Thursday before the Sunday event. So you want to bring our listeners up to date on how you're doing and how uh, things are going in terms of trying to get justice for Manuel Ellis. Well, first of all, um, good day to all of the people out there in your um, uh, radio au uh, audience. And uh, Eddie, thank you for always uh, being true to the cause of getting justice uh, for regular folk. Um, we're, we've approached uh, and passed the one-year anniversary date of when 
Manuelis was slain by Tacoma uh, police officers and Pierce County Sheriff's deputies, both of whom were on the uh, scene. And um, it, the case is waiting in the state's attorney general's office, uh, Bob Ferguson, who's done some things that have made us very proud of him uh, in that capacity. He's won some landmark Supreme Court decisions against the previous presidential administration in their Muslim ban. So we know he's a man of, of, of consciousness, uh, a man of goodwill, a Democrat, and a man with whom a case like this should be given the proper consideration and should be able to give a response of simple justice uh, in the decision on whether to charge these officers with the death of Manuel Ellis. The coroner's report was extremely clear. They said it was a homicide uh, via asphyxiation. Now, we know the uh, witness statements, the videos um, that have, they're online now. You can go see them showing the officers assaulting him. Um, they ultimately hog-tied him, which means they tied his feet and hands together, putting his body in a bow on his stomach with all the pressure and weight of his body on his diaphragm and esophagus, causing him to say, after having been beaten gratuitously, punched in the face over and over again by police officers, uh, none of which are acceptable tactics by the police training manual. But then he said, I cannot breathe several times after which they put the spit mask on him when he already told him his breathing was being compromised, and, um, and, and, and they choked him, and, and that choked him to death. And so an unarmed man, having gotten snacks, I mean, the, the echoes of this, it, it is hauntingly close to the Trayvon Martin uh, situation. Uh, finished rehearsal at church, went to 7-Eleven, got some snacks, walking home, stopped by Tacoma Police Department, unarmed, ends up dead by police who deemed it necessary to beat him like a drunken sailor and then to hogtie him, to tie him up in a way in which you'd face criminal charges if you did that to livestock, literally. And, and they, he died in their custody. Uh, and, and now the question it becomes, why haven't they lost their job and why won't criminal charges be filed for criminal conduct. And so we're, we, we started last week with a press conference to bring this atten the attention uh, back to this case to the foreground because the Breonna Taylor issue in Louisville, Kentucky, the George Floyd issue in Minneapolis, the Ahmaud Arbery issue in Brunswick County in Georgia, all these things suck the oxygen out of the air, and rightfully so. But, and we've reached across the country to join our voices, our dollars, our efforts, with those seeking justice in those instances, now it's time to move up and down I-5 and, and support our brothers and sisters trying to seek justice for this family. I know the family. I've met the family. The mother has been shattered from the inside out and in not only losing a child, but to lose a child in this uh, despicable way. You know, Claude McKay says in his iconic poem, if we must die, let us not die like hogs. And, and that's the way we continue to die all over this country at the hands of lawless law enforcement officers and and bob ferguson has been a good man in speaking truth to power in faraway places but eddie you and i know that issues like this don't tend to be decided on the findings of fact um, but they tend to be decided on the basis of political calculation um arbitration union con police union contracts uh who's running in the next election 
and and how that comes into play. I always say justice is simple. It's the politics that are complicated, and sometimes it's 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 easier for local politicians to speak truth to power in faraway places than it is to speak truth to power uh, in, that is near at hand uh, and can affect one's own political aspirations um, in the near term. And so uh, we have to, in political terms, incentivize this um, state's attorney general to do the right thing, the obvious thing, because police or or witness statements, witness accounts, coroner's report tell one clear story. The police report tells another story. And, And we're past being gaslighted. Do not tell us not to believe our lying eyes. Somebody's lying and it's not our eyes. It's not the witnesses. It's not the videos. And it's not um, uh, the coroner's report. I want to see if my co-host Haywood Evans has a question or comment. Yeah, Reverend Braxton, first, thank you. Thank you for being here with us. And God bless you. And I hope you're feeling better. You know, you know what we find? You, you can't argue with substance. You know, what they try to do is to, uh, you know, change the process, argue the process and not the substance. What is Bob Ferguson doing? Because, you know, just like you alluded to, he wants to be governor. Has he has he said anything to you, to the group? Um, People who are writing letters are getting polite little responses that we take this thing very serious and prioritize it and one and are, are giving it our most sincere consideration. Everybody's getting pretty much the same staple letter back. But we know one thing that politicians can count. They can count heads. And so we, we, we have the right to protest for rights uh, and to let them understand it, of all that they calculate into this, that people in the community care and that the state's attorney general is the people's attorney, not the police's attorney. We don't want him to be a local uh, Bob Barr who thought he was the president's attorney instead of the people's attorney. We are the people, and the people lost a son unnecessarily. You know, there was a day and time where if, if cops killed a person who was unarmed, their career was done. That's why they used to have those little throwaway guns to put it on the scene, put it in the dead person's hands, try to put fingerprints on it so then they could say, oh, they had a gun or a knife. Now we've gotten to a point of such uh, willful, open, non-apologetic breach of law that all folks have to do is just say, you know, when it comes to people of color, oh, I was scared. There's six of us, one of them unarmed, yet somehow or another we as uh, armed and commissioned police officers was afraid of one unarmed, defenseless person, even after we had them on the ground. And, and so um, we have to remind our public officials their job is to protect and serve the public. Again, this was an unarmed, defenseless man in the hands of several law enforcement officers who hogtied him. And after he told him he could not breathe because of being hogtied, they put a spit mask on him, further constricted his breathing, which resulted in his death. When police officers handle the public in such a way that they kill them is their accountability. When, when medical professionals uh, conduct themselves in such a way that people in their custody end up dead quite unnecessarily because of egregious behavior, they're, 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 there's accountability for them. There's malpractice. Um, and, and so 
we know that getting um, accountability for law enforcement has been one of the toughest nuts to crack in our society because people want to give police practical immunity. And we don't believe this makes police officers' job harder. We think it makes it easier when we strip away the lack of credibility they have because these instances keep on happening disproportionately in persons of in, in co- communities of color. When dealing with majority people, we see police use all their de-escalation tactics. They retreat at times. They talk people down. They wait it out. Um, no matter how aggressive persons are, they walk away. Alive and well, and black folks tend to end up keep end up dying unarmed over taillights being out, over um, you know confusion of identity, over traffic tickets, and any other willy nilly thing. Not vicious criminals in the midst of a commission of a crime, but people walking home with a bag of snacks end up dead. Pastor Blackson, we are out of time today, but we got to have you back because we want to make sure that. People keep informed, and you're right in the middle of this thing. We've had James Bible family's attorney on, but it's good to hear from someone that's been with the people organizing and, and uh, keeping the, uh, the family in prayer. So thank you very much, sir, and we definitely will have you back on. You're welcome. Anytime you or NBCF got something going on, let us know, because we've had Roland on, Jesse Hayes, number four. So we keep, we keep close touch with the folks that are doing good things out of the NBCF. So thank you very much for your leadership, sir. We appreciate you. Thanks, Eddie. Talk to you Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to take uh, a music break with Eric and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at Port Seattle. Org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. We're back. Uh, my co host, Haywood Evans, just had a computer glitch. And he's trying to get his computer jacked back up. 
he knows more about them than me. But before we go to my next guest, I want to thank our supporters and our sponsors, uh, uh, Sound Transit, uh, Leslie Jones, the chief of the labor department down there, along with uh, her other colleagues, Chris Elwell, Tim Callahan, Ms. Jones, also uh, Port of Seattle's diversity contracting office, me and Rice. Uh, I also want to thank the uh, City of Seattle's Purchase Construction Services Office, Liz Alzier, Mark, and Jesse. And then out at the airport, waiting for business to pick up at Concourse and Sessions, Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group LLC with Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsitt. And Stephanie Ogle does all about technology, and I need a badly because I'm not technologically astute. Uh, I would, they would say I was in technology preschool. But anyway, uh, Jamie Elmore, the owner of J Salon, founder of the Alopecia Support Group, editor-in-chief of uh, Ball Life Magazine is our next guest. And uh, Jamie, you uh, had to have two posts on my Facebook page, <laughs> one for your fashion and one for your magazine. So why don't you give our folks an update on how things are going with, with you? Well, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Rye, for having me on your show. I appreciate all that you do and for always giving me a platform and a voice to share um, all the information and the projects that I'm doing. But again, um, I'm with Bald Life Magazine and the founder of the Alopecia Support Group. We are excited to be releasing our third volume three of Bald Life Magazine in April of 2021. And I'm excited because we are the first magazine of its kind, meaning that we're the first magazine that will be featuring bald men, women, and children that are bald due to alopecia, cancer, medically induced, or simply by choice. And for your listeners that are not familiar with alopecia, alopecia is an autoimmune disease. It's where your immune system attacks your hair follicle and causes your hair to fall out. There are 6.8 million people in the U.S., 147 million people worldwide that, ha that have this disease. And so um, I wanted to provide a platform to just educate people and to um, help our babies and um, other men and women understand that they're not alone and just to let the world know that there is uh, there's different type of beauty. And I'm just excited about um, our opportunity to, to just shine some light on um, what uh, society has uh, uh, frowned upon. Uh, when it comes to people not having hair and so i'm just um excited about the opportunity and we are we are actually um mr rye we are in in 13 different countries right now and we are definitely making a, a lot of waves and we're touching and changing a lot of lives so um i'm excited about what what's to come now I, there's a couple of stories and i know this uh one young lady you guys uh matter of fact lewis rudd ezels and ezels family Blew up a, a, a mother and daughter, and I think it was a tragic ending for the mother. But this young lady uh, was was her, her life was restored up until that moment. Uh, what kind of calls are you receiving from the Alopecia Support Group? You said you guys are around in 13 different countries. Just share with our listeners a little bit about some of the uh, calls you receive as chair of the Alopecia Support Group. Yes, we receive calls and um, emails from all over the world. And just to piggyback off of the story of um, Jazzy, this young lady was 17 years old at the time. And um, I was the first person that she had seen ever in life that had alopecia. And when I did the video call with her and her mom, she was all in shock and kind of, you know, surprised that 
there was actually someone else that looked like her. And so I started, um, got permission to kind of work with her one-on-one, and things got a little dark for her, and she tried to literally commit suicide. And with that story, I, um, I reached out to Lewis with Ezell's Fried Chicken and told him what was going on. And Lewis actually happens to be one, one of the board members. He's the vice president of my um, nonprofit, which is the Alopecia Support Group. And so I told him what was going on with Jazzy, and they paid for her and her mother to fly here to Seattle, Washington. They were here for a week. We put them up in a hotel. We um, got her eyebrows tattooed. We got her wig donated, um, a surprise birthday party. And we basically loved on her and her mother for an entire week. And she um, went on to graduate from high school in June of 2019. But um, the sad ending to that story is her mother passed away on Thanksgiving night. But I feel good in my spirit, and I'm just knowing that now I am Ashley um, Jazzy's alopecia um, auntie and her mom, and her mom can rest in peace knowing that she has a community of people that will support her on her alopecia journey. Jamie, before we go, could you quickly give any contact information for the Alopecia Support Group or Ball Life Magazine? Yes, I can give both. So for the Alopecia Support Group, it is alopeciasupportgroup.org and Ball Life magazine.com and of course they can always google jamie elmore and they can find me okay jamie we certainly appreciate your time and all the work you're doing in the community changing people's lives is very very important and maybe one of these days i'll be able to get a haircut so thank you very much jamie we'll talk to you haywood evans is on my cell phone he wanted to say hi hello how are you he's on the cell phone this computer crashed okay okay. then Okay, well, thanks thank very so much, much now. for having me. Okay, okay have a good thank day. You. Thank you. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this has been uh, Eddie Rye and Hayward Evans on the cell phone. Uh, we want to wish all you guys have a very healthy week. And also, we want to wish all the ladies, this here is uh, Women's History Month, and so we're going to be focusing on the accomplishments. Uh, matter of fact, I got a commitment from Congresswoman Maxine Waters will be on next Thursday. On the 25th, Mayor Victoria Witters will be on. And we'll have other people like Angela Rye and some other folks on as well. So, uh, uh, would you want to say bye? Bye now. All right, then. We'll talk to you next Thursday. Thank you very much, Eric B. We appreciate you.